Quantspeak, expert insights from quants for quants. Welcome to Quantspeak, a new podcast from the CQF Institute at Fitch Learning. Hi, I'm Dan Tudball, editor of Wilmot Magazine, and this is Quantspeak. If only I could use my powers for good instead of evil. I imagine that was the overarching thought behind environmental, social and governance factors and climate risk in the financial context that is subsumed to ESG. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I imagine that is a thought many have had as the steadily rising drumbeat of conscientious investing and eco-savvy risk management has been remixed with the catchy bleeps and bloops of meaningless hype, delivering a tune that increasing numbers find embarrassing to dance to. There is copious evidence that the African slave trade was ultimately abolished in the 19th century due to immediate economic factors rather than any moral imperative. A better business model had been found. But does an acknowledgement of the importance of hedging against the climate really represent anything more than a stemming of the tide to allow more time for business as usual? Maybe just enough time to collect our pensions, leave it to future generations to find a better business model, necessity being the mother of invention and all that. This episode, I'll be speaking with Diana Umar. Managing Director of Rima Consulting Limited. She has more than 14 years' experience in risk management, developed in rating agencies, investment banking, consulting, and private equity. As a senior regulatory risk consultant, Diana monitors and interprets banking regulations focusing on market risk, counterparty credit risk, and climate risk. Diana just delivered a talk for the CQF Institute on ESG, Emergence of the Sustainability-Linked Bonds, Friend or Foe to Sustainability. Welcome, Diana. Thank you, Dan, for having me here today. Oh, it's great. Thank you so much for agreeing to participate in QuantSpeak. Now, a career in sustainability is an exciting opportunity for your work to have a real-world impact on the environment. Why did you decide to go into the field of sustainable finance? Well, as we all know now, climate change is literally a massive challenge for the human race and a whole event again, our own survival. The challenges uh, of climate change go well beyond what we see. It's not an acute crisis like we just had with COVID-19 or the financial crisis in 2008. This time, the stakes go well beyond the financial risk. It's impacting social, human, and natural capital. Over the next 10 years, what the industry expects is um, the financial industry will go through profound changes to make the world move toward net zero. And since March 2020, when the world has stopped uh, because of COVID, I decided to leverage uh, my experience and knowledge in risk management and regulations to tackle uh, major issues such as climate risk. Now, currently, climate change is the third most important risk management skills in demand behind cybersecurity and data science. 
However, uh, expertise in climate science and risk management are both thin on the ground and in high demand across all industries. The obvious next step for me then was definitely to train as a risk specialist in climate change. Tell me more about your decision to work in sustainability within financial institutions. You, you could have joined a, an NGO, for instance. What's the reason to work on sustainability within a bank? This is a very good question. As you can see at the moment, uh, we are going through the fastest uh, industrial uh, transformation we will probably ever have to experience in the history of humanity. Every sector of the economy across the globe is already or will be impacted. There is currently a clear consensus that decarbonization of the world must be supported by the financial service industry, particularly bank. It's going to be now and in the future. Then also, I would like here to remind something to the audience is that money is the blood of the economy and banks provide the lifeblood to this economy activity. It plays a central role in where capital is allocated. So the problem we are all currently facing is that the, uh, in the past, uh, there were many banks, most of the banks were failing to consider the climate impact when they made like financing decisions. Too much money was being put into uh, extremely carbon intensive activity, which today banks must imperatively move away from. This is what is currently happening with banks globally, making public and credible commitments to the market about aligning all the financing activity to reach the Paris Agreement's goals. So they are stopping progressively the financing of carbon intensive activity across all sectors. As far as I'm concerned, banks have the unique positions to support the transition to net zero. This is a reason that I am eager to work and support this journey to net zero within the bank banking industry for the well-being of uh, humanity, I would say, and the generations to come. I'm all for sustainability in all its forms, really, across the board when it comes to business and so on. And I think it's a very compelling perspective. What's your perspective on climate risk within the financial industry today? in terms of the way that it's, um, it's viewed from within, from within the industry? So when I started my career, then financial institutions approached climate change through what was called the lens. It was, I would say, corporate social responsibility. This is how climate change was perceived. Now with time, there have been many studies and uh, individual investment experiences that have clearly demonstrated the link between environmental sustainability challenges, the economics and financial risk, which have led to the conclusion that climate change, it's a systemic stress by, the, by itself to the whole financial stability. Now, climate change is a non-financial risk. And one of the key challenges we are facing today is the fact that a non-financial risk is very hard to quantify. So in my view, uh, we must embed, uh, um, I, I mean, when we say must, the financial industry must incorporate all the signals sent by experts, such as economists, scientists, into what we have at the moment, which is the financial risk management frameworks of the bank. If nothing is done, we might be against 
sleepwalking, I would say, into another major tragedy. This is how I perceive uh, climate risk within the financial industry today. Based on your experience in risk management, do you think that the traditional risk management approach we've used for market credit and operational risk is fit for purpose? Is it still relevant for managing climate risk today? Well, not really. Let me clarify here. Concern about environmental risk have been uh, rising, uh, as we all know, over the more than last decade. But um, since 2015, uh, we had uh, an agreement called the Paris Agreement with a major uh, target, which, um, which is to try to, to have the temperatures down or well below the two degrees Celsius, or, or again, even more preferably, around 1.5 degrees by 2050. Years ago, there was an excellent paper from the Bank of England that were published. Uh, it was in 2018, if I remember well. It was called The uh, Transition in Thinking, the Impact of Climate Change on the UK Banking Sector. In this uh, paper, there was a very interesting uh, graph um, with projection of all the different possible CO2 emissions passed away and the associated potential uh, global temperatures, i.e. increase or decrease, right? right? So now, depending on the uh, different CO2 emission pathways, we are moving, uh, we have to understand that there are a couple of financial risks, and there are two of them. They are physical and transition risk. Physical risk, uh, as we know, can arise from climate and weather-related events, uh, like we have seen uh, this summer here, and I mean, across the globe, I would say heat waves, uh, the wind storm, and so on. This is physical risk. And this physical risk can um, potentially result in large financial losses and impairing like assets value or the credit worthiness of borrowers, right? So continued greenhouse gas emission expected to lead to rising temperature, increasing that's going to increase the financial risk from the physical impact of climate change. The second risk is transition risk, and that can occur when we are moving toward a less polluting uh, or greener economy. So this risk can have an impact as well on the economy. Uh, one of them is a big shift in the asset values. This is what we call stranded asset or higher cost of doing business. And uh, limiting the impact would require substantial reduction in carbon emission, but that's gonna increase the financial risk associated with the transition. Here, what I should add is uh, later this reduction begin, uh, we know the more accelerated they will need to be for the global temperatures to re remain within the below two degree goal of Green Paris. Well, now from a risk perspective, Based uh, on what I've said above, I would like uh, to ask questions such, which way do we think we are going at the moment? We don't really know. How are we gonna price, or how to price risk and return? Again, we still don't really know. What could be uh, the impact? Again, we don't know. And one of the reasons is we do not have clear historical data. And how much time really do we have? Again, we don't know. And this is where traditional risk management we use is not fit for purpose for managing climate risk. As the main factors are missing such a 
pricing, timing, impact, nonlinearity, data, what else, expertise, backward looking, and so on. I personally think that the current threat of the climate and ecological breakdown to the financial institution make banks uh, to navigate in a kind of radical uncertainty, which fundamentally is incontifier. So as a result, uh, financial institutions are currently working on finding a practical way forward to navigate the risk and opportunities. Yes, I mean, that is a challenging picture to consider. Do you think that regulations are really the only route to overcoming these challenges? I would say it's probably one of them, but yes. And it's a very good point what you are raising here, Dan. But I believe that also using uh, the traditional regulatory approach will not be this time optimal to meet the challenges and consequences of the uh, of this crisis. Uh, for instance, Basel III compliance was about uh, a response to an acute crisis, right? As mentioned earlier, the climate crisis is a chronic one. I would say here that risk management pillar of the TCFD, which is a task force on climate-related financial disclosure, tackled quite well on how an organization should identify, assess, and manage climate risk and how this risk relates to an organization's other business risk. It's going to give an organization the opportunity to demonstrate to investors and also other stakeholders how it systematically integrates climate-related risks into uh, its existing core risk management processes. So in my opinion, risk management complements the governance and strategy pillar for the TCFD and prepare businesses for the metrics and target pillars. You've worked on a variety of sustainability projects. Can you tell me about recent challenges you might have faced? Well, it's really around how to take a long-term view in a short-term world. As we know, like uh, I would say like the financial markets are dominated by a short-term logic that directly contradicts the need for a long-term approach to sustainability challenges. And that is one of the main issues I'm facing with. If we go back in the past, uh, the world, or I would say, or rather capitalism, has kind of come a long way since the economist and Nobel Prize that we all know, Milton Friedman, say that the initial responsibility of business is to increase its profits. And corporation and yeah, we have no responsibility beyond the duty they owe to shareholders, right? So, but today, for understanding sustainable finance and its uh, positive added value to society, it's necessary really to switch from short-termism to long-termist mindset. What I mean about that is profit at long run and well-being of the society must be both taken into account. The idea here is gonna be for now and later is gonna to be to follow strategy to create long-term values to protect and enhance investment returns. So this has been one of the key challenge moving from uh, moving from a short-term mindset to a long-term one. How do you perceive the emergence of new sustainability finance products? Oh, we are moving at the moment from a, what I would call an opportunistic uh, deal-driven market to one which is a strategically ESG-infused market. Indeed, uh, as you know, ESG uh, was a niche segment that uh, grew up and developed, but in the past two years, 
there have been a shift into it and becomes one of the mainstream markets. It has become something that is a strategic focus on the vast majority of the institutional investors and corporates today. So if you think about it, then total sustainable debt insurance through 2021 exceeded more than $4 trillion. So it demonstrates quite well the popularity of the ESG uh, borrowing. The volume of uh, that sustainable date in the range of uh, investments uh, structures we are currently seeing on an annual basis are unprecedented. So we have known the uh, green bonds since 2007, and but we have to say now uh, they are not the best uh, option for every issuer. So what we have seen on the market is since uh, 2019, uh, the emergence of the sustainability link bonds. And uh, I would say that they are an alternative solution for companies in the consumer segments to show their accountability and commitment to sustainability. This is where the, the SLBs have a more flexible structures on its own, right? That said, I would say that same flexibility means that investors must take kind of an active approach and ensure that they keep being friendly to sustainability. With these uh, new products, uh, it's clear that there is a big challenge. And the biggest one, I would say, is that the investor should be alerted to what I call the sustainability washing, because the sustainability washing is, is currently a real risk. So, Diana, in, in your view, what are the major challenges with sustainability-linked bonds? I would say is the uh, sustainability washing, which is a real risk. Uh, let me give you an example of what sustainability washing is. I think it was in late 2020 when uh, a very large European, European uh, asset manager, for instance, decided to remove exposure to green bonds issued by a bank after it was made public by the bank, the same bank, they, they will finance carbon intensive activities. This is what we call the sustainability washing. Now you were saying that the Paris climate deal pledged to keep global temperatures well below two degrees centigrade, 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit for our North American friends, above a historical pre-industrial benchmark and preferably below 1.5 degrees centigrade by 2050. In your opinion, what's the key role for banks to ensure that we meet the Paris Agreement? Well, the bankers have two main roles uh, regarding uh, the Paris Agreement. I would say on the one hand, they act as a growth enabler, uh, helping to redirect capital flow to a lower carbon economy. That would be the first role. On the other hand, they are risk uh, managers and they need to make sure to align their loan portfolio according to financial risk that are uh, associated with sustainability risk. In this respect, banks are guided by a regulatory framework and their own commitments to reach net zero. I think this journey is going to be quite long. And if we look at the recent, for instance, uh, the geopolitical event, They've highlighted how the transition to net zero is likely to be a bumpy one, for instance, with the current energy crisis. As such, there is a need to proactively assess and mitigate transition risk, and it's a crucial for banks to be resilient to climate-related risk as we get now, as mentioned earlier, 
in uh, the uncertain path towards net zero. As we wrap up here, Diana, is there anything else that you would like to add as a takeaway? Sure, then. Well, today banks are working to ensure that they play their role in supporting the transitions to net zero, as they have a unique position to support the economy. However, I believe that it would be achievable only if sustainability is integrated in the DNA of the bank strategy and the banker's mentality. The stake have never been as high, especially because there is no compromise for the future. It's all about survival this time. Thanks so much, Diana. You're welcome, Dan. And for our listeners, just remember, the CQF Institute has already got a free online recording of Dynoma on ESG, Emergence of the Sustainability Link Bonds, Friend or Foe to Sustainability. You should check that out. If you're not a member, it's free. And we hope this is all going to lead to a better future for us all. Thank you for listening to QuantSpeak. Don't forget to subscribe and do sign up to the CQF Institute for more insights into quant finance.